Welcome to episode number one of Invest for Success. I am John Gay, joined by Keith Moody from Mooney Lions in Chicagoland. And Keith, it is great to be with you for our inaugural episode. Look forward to doing this. I think for our first episode, we really should start with the basics. And, you know, you guys talk about this a lot at your firm, the eight timeless principles for investing. Do you have any thoughts before we start, actually, of these eight principles in general? You know, the big thing for me is kind of where we're at in the times and the economic cycle. People are concerned, you know, is the economy uh, at the end of the stages into going into recession? Um, what should we be doing differently? And I've been doing this quite a long time. and I've seen different economic cycles and sliding into recessions before, and it's always good to rehash those timeless principles of investing and reminding people what are the things you have control of. And so I think this is perfect timing to be talking about this right now. Well, with that, Keith, I'll jump right in. Our first topic is focus on what you can control. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, that's a nice setup. When you start talking about market concerns, all the information that we're getting daily on the internet, TV, radio, business decisions, economic events, politics, interest rates, decreasing hikes, so much information out there. Many factors can influence what's going on with the performance of your investments. But what I tell people is instead of worrying about the events that are out of your control or out of your hands, focus on some of the things that you can control. The big one, diversifying your portfolio. That's something you can control. Uh -huh. Create an investment plan that address your needs and your risk tolerance. Too many people are worried about uh, what if the market dips and how much money am I going to lose, blah, 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 blah. That's part of investing. If you're investing in the market, you can't necessarily control that. You really can't control it. Uh -huh. So do the things you can. Reduce your expenses. Manage your turnover. Manage your tax implications. Structure a portfolio more in line to what type of returns you're looking for. Those are things you can control what's going on in our economic environment. There's just too many factors and people way smarter than myself that can't predict, you know, what's going to happen day to day in the market, but there are things you can do. I'm trying to remember the wording of it. I believe it's the serenity prayer where they say, you know, God, give me the strength to control that what I can, but not worry about the things that I can't essentially, right? And that absolutely applies here, right? Absolutely. The next important topic would be to put time on your side. What do you mean by that? Financial markets definitely reward long-term investors. Some people expect positive returns on capital from day one. Right. And history has shown over and over and over again that the long-term investor is the one that wins. You know, it's the tortoise versus the hare thing. Sure. The tortoise, the long steady, is the winner. And that's for sure the case when you start talking about investing, especially with the stock market and particularly with the economy and what's going on today with in-your-face, up-to-date news. The market's you know, is as volatile as it's ever been. You could even argue maybe it's more volatile, but the long-term investor still wins. And so putting time on your side and really taking a look at what type of time frame you have. Too many people think about a trigger event like you know, well, I'm retiring in a year. So, you know, I only got a year time horizon or, you know, I'm going to retire in two years. So I only have a two-year time horizon if we're talking about retirement. And what I tell people is, well, retirement doesn't end the day you retire. It's just starting. Yeah, right. You have to invest for the rest of your life. So when you start thinking about that, hopefully uh, all of us have some longevity 
on our side. And so now we're talking about investing for a very long term. And so now we're starting to think about, okay, going through different economic cycles and multiple expansions, multiple recessions. So it gets your focus to kind of a bigger picture instead of just what's going to happen next month, what's going to happen with the election, what's going to happen with, you know, the trade embargo. That's noise. Right. And I think, you know, we talk about time being on your side, planning for when you're going to retire, where you are, you know, in your lifetime of work or lifetime of retirement. I think it's also important to remember that with advances in medicine, we're living longer. You might retire at 65, but your life expectancy might be 80, 85, 90, as opposed to what it was a generation or two ago. And you don't want to run out of money when you're retired. You don't want to outlive your retirement, basically. Absolutely. And I talk to people about this all the time. I think when you're young, you kind of envision uh, retirement being uh, golfing every day and, <laughs> and, and, and playing bridge or going on vacation. And reality is a third of our life is going to be spent in retirement with wow. medical advances and our longevity and lifespan. So you have to have a portfolio and a game plan that can meet that longevity issue that we're all facing, which that's a great thing. We're, we're living. It's not a bad thing that we're living longer, right? Yeah. And you know, you hear this all the time. Seventies is the new sixties, you know, eighties <laughs> is the new seventies. People are much healthier than they were just when I was getting in the business, you know, 25, 26, 27 years ago, mm-hmm. people are traveling more, more active, which is a great thing, but your portfolio, your investments, your pension, all that stuff has to stand that test of time. Got it. And something you alluded to a minute ago, Keith, that I want to come to next is tuning out the noise. There is so much. I mean, all you have to do is open your Facebook feed nowadays to see the noise when it comes to politics on both sides and then finances and so much. How do we tune out the noise and why is it so important? News cycles are driven by fear, right? Yeah. Uncertainty, doubt, the challenge, the most disciplined of us, whether it be me that's been doing this for quite some time or the most novice investor, I think we're all in the same boat with information in your face. And it's very easy to, you know, want to follow the headlines in the newest and latest fad, you know, and chasing some new investment or getting gripped with fear and wanting to get out because of, you know, some new headline. A couple of things. One is the media just makes money by sensationalizing things. Like creating we, an emotion in their audience. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you don't get listeners or viewers by saying, hey, it's going to be really sunny out. No need to tune in. You know, <laughs> you tell us about the tornado that's going to occur and the, the next snowstorm that's going to be 12 feet deep of snow. And so we try to apply that with portfolio management and, and investing and trying to educate our clients about tuning out the noise. Mm-hmm. I tell this to people all the time. If you're in sound investments and have a sound portfolio strategy, when there's a market dip, you know one of the best things to do? Quit looking at your stuff all the time. Ah. Quit looking at it all the time. What's that going to do? Just reaffirm how much has dropped in a short time period? Because it's all going to drop, right? Why get into every detail and dig into it every day? You know, as long as you're in good stuff, tune that stuff out. Ride those things out. You're preaching to the choir right now, Keith, because I was a broadcast journalism major at Syracuse. One of the things we learned in all these television classes is if it bleeds, it leads. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> you're not going to get any attention by the viewers, and you know, unless you're talking about you know the shootings, the stabbings, and the murders. That's how you're going to get people. You're not going to get viewers by talking about 
you know, the city council meeting or whatever. You know, you have to create an emotion, and that's just marketing 101 is you have to create an emotion with your viewer or with your reader or, you know, if they're reading a blog or they're on your website or whatever it is. And so financially speaking, in terms of ratings and revenue, these media outlets are incentivized to sensationalize things and to scare the you-know-what out of you. You know, as long as we recognize that, and I think the one thing that we try to do here at Mooney Lions, without giving a big pitch here, is try to educate you before those things happen, before the next dip happens. Here's what's going to happen when we have a recession. The market's going to dip. When that happens, the media is going to scare the bejesus out of all of us. (laughs) Yep. Tune it out. I'm telling you that's going to happen. There's not a lot of guarantees in life. That seems to be one that's a guarantee. Right. Death taxes and the up and down of the market. Yeah. Keith, this actually leads into our next point about a principle of investing, which is not trying to time the markets. You always hear buy low, sell high, but that's really not the true advice that it could be. Selling high and, and buying low is is the key to success, right? But uh, the thing that I tell people all the time, especially when it relates to timing the market is mm-hmm. the problem is with doing that is you have to be correct twice. Yeah. You have to know when, when the market's peaked and then you have to know when the market's bottomed. You're waiting for lightning to strike twice. Right. And what I'd say to you is show me the person that's been able to do that even once, let alone right, yeah. being able to repeat it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yesterday's winner might be tomorrow's loser. And matter of fact, I've got plenty of data that shows that's exactly the case, that many times what were the best performers last year are not the best performers the following year. Matter of fact, more than not, they are not. And so trying to do that market timing issue or strategy really doesn't work. And uh, there's something called an efficient market frontier and actually points out if there's actually a technique or strategy that allows you to do that, some you know Nobel Prize winning economist or computer guru that figures out a way to actually be able to do that, well, everybody starts to do it. Yeah. And then guess what happens? When everybody's doing it, then it doesn't work anymore. And so the market becomes efficient again. So market timing truly doesn't work. So frequent trading, you know, no one can predict the directions. Don't do it. Playing with penny stocks and trying to find the next uh, diamond in the rough, mm-hmm. you know, great. But reality is the people like Warren Buffett, that try to, what I tell people is make singles and doubles if we're using a baseball analogy. Right. Don't go for the home runs. You know, the singles and the doubles and the walks, they work. Yeah. You can score runs just as that way. Those are what we were looking for. So we try to apply those proven strategies, things that work over time. You know, market timing just doesn't work. Frequent trading and playing with your pennies, definite ways to lose money. And in terms of time of the investments, Keith, we've heard this before that when everybody panicked when the market had a downturn about a decade ago, the people who stuck it out ended up better off in the long run, right? Absolutely. So, you know, there's some data out there. I, I was looking at a chart that Capital Group had put together and talked about the average expansion and economic expansion and recession. The average expansion for the, like the last 60 years has been 67 months, so five and a half years. Okay. The average recession, 11 months. So, to dive into that a little bit. You're talking about expansion being six times as long as a recession. Right. So, and you just pointed out one of the biggest recessions and downturns in the stock market that we've had, what they call it once in a 50 or 100 year event, was Mm -hmm. 2008, 2009, right? 
Well, I think the uh, numbers show if you stayed invested for a year and a half, you got all your money back. Those people that jumped out, they lost big time. So when you look at that, the time-tested strategy of buying and holding and making good sound investment strategies and diversifying, it really is important when you start talking about recessions. That's where it's going to test your metal. Uh. 2008 was a great example because it was one of the bad ones. Right. And even though we had a bad one, if you were in good stuff and invested wisely and stayed invested, you were rewarded. Got it. So another principle of investing that's worth hitting on is understanding risk in all forms of it. What can you say about that, Keith? Market risk or the risk of your portfolio value actually dropping, that's not the only thing that people should be thinking about, right? We talked a little bit about this uh, a minute or so ago, and that is the living too long risk. Yeah. So your lifespan risk, outliving your money. Inflation's another risk we got to worry about. So if inflation is 2 or 3%, and you know you're only making one or two percent. You're actually losing money every year. So right, rising healthcare costs, right? That goes hand in hand with inflation. That's something that people are going to be facing real issues that people are all facing, especially at retirement. Right, as we get older, we're facing yeah. more healthcare issues. So inflation's a big risk. Understanding that there's more than just market risk. You know, you can even talk about business risk and investing in one company. You know, if you invest in XYZ, then you have to worry about the management team and how that company's doing and could they go bankrupt. Whereas if you're a diversified portfolio, uh, you manage that risk. So there's many different types of risk and understanding those risks, I think, are very important. Absolutely. And that takes us back to the emotional roller coaster. We hit on this a little bit too of, I think so much of investing really is counterintuitive because your emotions want to kick in and you've got to be able to stay the course. And sometimes override those emotions. So what can you tell me about the emotional roller coaster? So let me give you some details that uh, Delbar study found. The S&P 500 between 1995 and 2014 averaged 9.9%. So almost 10% return. Okay. The average investor only averaged 2.5% during the same time period. A quarter of that same. Wow. Okay. So what is that telling us? Well, the research suggests that investors make poor investment decisions, period. Mm -hmm. They buy when they shouldn't. They sell when they shouldn't. They follow their emotions instead of their analytical part of their brain. And there's a bunch of data out there. There's been many, many books written about this. You know, you go through the periods when the economy's growing and the stock market's cruising, where you start to get more confident and then the market continues to do well and then you get euphoric. And then yep. all of a sudden you start to see the market dip. It makes you a little bit nervous. Market really starts to go down. You feel defeated. The market bottoms out. What do people do? They get desperate and they sell. Yeah. And then it repeats over and over and over and over again. There's a uh, famous, uh, the tulip mania of Holland back in, I, I want to say the 15 or 1600s. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, somebody sold it, bought a tulip bulb and then later sold it for a higher price. Okay. And then somebody else bought a tulip bulb and sold it for a higher price. And what ended up happening by the time it was all said and done, this mania, a tulip bulb at that time was selling for more than a home. Wow. Which seems ridiculous, whether it be today or whether it be the 1500s. That's ridiculous, right? Why is that? Because greed and the euphoria overtook 
our analytical reasoning power. And we see that nowadays too, Keith. You know, recently there was the big boom for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and then now we're seeing everybody getting excited about marijuana stock as the next big thing. We tend to, you know, see the history repeating itself even now. All the time. And, and like you say, the dates and the names and the topics change, but the theme is still the same. And so my deal is understanding that we're human beings and we all are driven by emotion, I think is the first step in, uh, you know, the, uh, three-step process of uh, <laughs> you're an AA, but I think it's important to understand, hey, we're all emotions. We're all susceptible to that. So let's look at it and understand where what bothers me before it happens, what makes me make my decisions before I do that, whether it be euphoria and I get into the greedy mode or whether it be you know the fear mode and I'm getting to that desperation where I want to sell at the low. Understanding that I'm going to feel that greed and that fear before it happens is a solid way to help me fight from doing that. And, you know, and it goes back to tuning out the noise. It goes back to making sure I'm diversified and I've got good strategies in place and I'm focusing on what I can control so I can try to suppress that emotional fear and greed that we're all going to feel. I don't care if you're the most seasoned veteran in investing or you're the newest novice to investing, we're all going to feel that. And so we have to address it and know where we are with that. And I think that's how you overcome it. I think that self-awareness is so key. And as a financial advisor, sometimes you have to double as a therapist too, right? I tell people all that all the time. That's funny you said that. I feel like I'm the barstool therapist many times, especially when the market's in you know that recession and, and dipping mode. But it's also on the other hand, when the market's doing well, like this year, you know, people tend to get a little greedy. The interesting thing for me is this is, continues to repeat itself. You know, the longer you're in the investment world and in, in the planning world, and you go through these economic cycles, whether it be the expansion and the growth stage of the stock market, or it would be the contraction and the recession and the dip in the stock market, the same things repeat itself over and over and over again. So helping people to address that and come to terms with it and make good decisions is very rewarding for me. Absolutely. And regardless, and you're actually taking me back to my recent Vegas trip and the roller coaster that I was on at the blackjack and the craps <laughs> table, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Regardless of where you are on the emotional roller coaster, kicking up the savings, it can be key any and all the time. Absolutely. One of the things that people don't take into account enough is you know, savings and continuous savings, you know, starting from the get-go and doing it on a religious and diligent and consistent basis is the key to success. Whether it's down markets, up markets, volatility actually helps you when you're a consistent investor uh, because you're doing something called dollar cost averaging. But I, I have some numbers I just want to throw out to you. Absolutely. So let's say, you know, you're 40 years old, you want to retire at 60 years old. You're preaching to the choir because I turned 39 this month. There you go. So let's say you have $250,000. You've done a good job savings and you make an annual income of hundred grand a year and you send, save 10% of your savings at 6% return. 20 years, you have $812,000, which hey, that's a lot of money, right? Yeah. Well, here's a little strategy that's real easy. What if you increased your savings from 
each year by 1%. So what I tell people, most people get a raise of 2 or 3%, right? Mm-hmm. What if you took a portion of that and increased your savings from 1% each year? So within five years, instead of savings 10%, you're at 15% savings. Okay. You know what that does differently? I would imagine a large number is coming my way. Instead of 812000 you're at almost a million dollars. Wow. Okay. It's over $150,000 difference. It's really a trick to your own self. How much did that cost you? You didn't even feel it because all I'm saying is take a portion of your raise. Right. So consistent savings and kicking up the savings when you get raises at your job is the easiest way to accumulate wealth. Mm, I like that a lot. And I think about, you know, when I was in my early 20s and I was going to the bar three or four nights a week and thinking about every single one of those beers, the $3, $4, $5, if that had gone and saved what that would become when I retire. So I, I had fun in my 20s, but now I'm a little bit older. I look back on those days and say, wow, if I had started saving when I was younger, just a little bit here and there, literally it compounds itself and the dividends down the road are immense. Oh, ridiculous. I, I actually have done many classes where I'll show data that if you had started in your early 30s and started investing consistently in your 401k and whatnot and retire at 65 versus if you started in your early 20s, that extra 10 years, it's millions of dollars. Wow. That extra 10 years is millions of dollars. So like you say, starting early is huge. But even if you don't, you know, there's things you can do. That's my little trick. I tell people all the time, if you're getting started with savings and you're saying cash flow is tight, I really can't increase it. Okay, take half of your raise every year and increase your savings by taking half your raise. And even nowadays, Keith, when there are some people who are not getting raises, if you don't get a raise, it's your Starbucks in the morning. It's uh, it's going out to eat once a week. There are other ways to find that money, right? It really is. It's funny that you say that about Starbucks. My wife goes there all the time and blows her $5 or whatever <laughs> on her French latte uh, iced Super coffee. Super mocha frappuccino with an extra shot. and yeah. <laughs> No, exactly. So... I guess because of what I do for a living, I've always been a saver, but I am a big believer in enjoying life and doing some of the things you like to do. But like you said, evaluate where you're spending your money. You don't have to make major lifestyle change to find extra cash and maybe, you know, skipping to Starbucks and drinking coffee at work might be a big difference in the cash flow, especially for young people. Not to judge, but you see young people every day in lines at Starbucks and you're thinking, Wow, that's a big expense for them, you know, and it's okay. But if you really want to make it to financial independence and accumulate the wealth that you'd like to accumulate, whether it be buying that first home, whether it be saving for the kids' education, whether it be saving for retirement, you do have to prioritize your financial and your cash flow. And that's one of the first steps is taking a look at your budget. It's tough, but you have to do it. And sometimes you need help, which brings us to our last point here, which is delegating the details. You know, to me, that's one of the most important pieces. And I really believe that. Uh, I always, when I was growing up, I played football in college and I always wanted to be a coach. Mm -hmm. I have coached for many years at the youth football level, which has always been rewarding to me. But uh, sure, yeah. My biggest coaching success has been my career in, in finances and helping people and having them delegate some of those tasks onto me and helping them accumulate wealth and achieve financial independence and success. You know, I think there's many strategies that we help people implement, but you know, one of the biggest ones that I see over and over again is 
keeping them motivated and keeping them organized and diligent because things that we do is we'll talk and ask questions and try to dig out what's your most important goals because remember we were talking about we're emotional beings and emotions what drive us yeah well one of the techniques that we learn is we try to get to some of your core emotions and find out really what is important to you and so when to refer back to the Starbucks coffee yeah when we're looking at, hey, maybe you need to save a little extra money every month. And you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I can do that. And, you know, I would say to that person, I get it. Cash flow is tight, but you said this was important to you. And here's what you said. And we lay out the emotional things that were important to you. Remember what I talked about motivating? Mm-hmm. That motivates people and they go, yeah, you're right. I have to give up something if I want this, if this is really important to me. So to me, there's some great strategies, tax smart investing portfolio monitoring, oversight that we do, regular reviews, asset allocation, personalizing investment strategies, all those things are great. But the ongoing reviews and reminding people and helping them figure out what's important to them to keep them motivated and diligent and continuing to press forward with their financial goals, I think is one of the big jobs that I don't want want to overlook. I really think that's an important piece to it. Well, it's a specialty thing. I mean, if you, God forbid, had a heart condition, you would want to see a cardiologist who specializes in that area. And the same goes for your money. If you want to make sure that you are well taken care of for the rest of your life and perhaps your kids and college, and there are so many things, sometimes it takes that outside perspective, somebody who can run the numbers for you, help you prioritize, and that's where you guys come in. So, Keith, if somebody wants to get a hold of you at Mooney Lions, what are the best ways to reach you? You can always call us at our phone number, 847-382-2600, which is easy. But also our website, MooneyLions.com. You check our website out, take the quizzes, email us. But any way you'd like to reach out to us is a good thing and get you started on the road to success. And if you're driving, you're not able to write down a phone number or a website. We don't want you to do that while you're driving. All the links to all of the Mooney Lions contact information are right below in the show notes. You can click on those when you are in a place that you can do so on your phone. And Keith, thank you for the time today. Look forward to our next podcast. I appreciate it. Look forward to it. Securities offered through Triad Advisors, LLC, member of FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through Triad Hybrid Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Mooney Lions Financial Advisors and Triad Advisors, LLC, are not affiliated.